everyone and welcome back to the 16 millimeter film crew podcast i'm cindy and i'm dale you can watch us on youtube you can like and comment on our youtube videos and subscribe to our youtube channel you can support us on anchor you can listen to us everywhere podcasts are found at 16 millimeter film crew podcast leave us a rate and review and visit us on our website at www.16millimeterfilmcrew.com. So this week, really exciting, we watched Moon Age Daydream, the, not even a biopic, but just like a musical experience. Musical documentary. Yeah, documentary yeah. about David Bowie. Yeah. Um, so this is just, um, this movie is featuring never before seen footage and performances from filmmaker Brett Morgan as he explores David Bowie's creative, spiritual, and musical journey. So, Dale, I was about to call you David you Bowie. David Bowie? <laughs> Let us know how you felt about this movie. Um, I loved it. I mean, it's I love um the bio biopics are kind of weird when it comes to artists and nowadays. You have, especially with the artists who are not alive, you have a vast degree of spectrums as far as it portrayed you had like i'm still surprised that you know rami malik as good performance he did he deserved his oscar win. but the how successful um queen was because it was a very paintball number you could put you could replace it with queen and it probably been the same or whereas you see um rocket man john lennon john lennon <laughs> elton john sorry mm. with uh um Taron Edgerton, you know, how flamboyant, how colorful that is, because, you know, uh, he, Elton wanted to be actually accurate, you know, this is me, I want the good and bad, whereas, like, I think if the artist you're going to portray or do a pick on isn't alive to actually give that honest, like, yeah, I was angry in this moment, here's why, this is my thought process, people are just going to assume, oh, he was angry, and fill in the blanks with their own. I think if you're going to do pictures about celebrities or singers or whatever i'd rather it be done like this like this 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 documentary is not your typical documentary yes it's using archival footage personal picture videos boys took themselves you know uh news news i'm not no news articles but news newsreel videos stuff like that but a lot of the dialogue is him and his personal thoughts about how he felt how he felt so there's no confusion as to why he was thinking a certain way because he literally says this is my thought process that i was feeling in the moment and all that stuff i know some people have concerns where it didn't go over bowie's life in depth you know about you know his uh drug use and all that stuff but that doesn't need to be because we already know about it it's not it's not a big part of his life and who he was as artist it's a smaller portion of the whole picture so i do think if you're going to do like biopics like this i would prefer it embrace the um the eccentricity these are because this is this is not a typical document this is a very bowie like like you could honestly think bowie put this together himself about how colorful and how the way it's edited and everything like like this this is a perfect package and representation of what he was as a person i think in this documentary mm. yeah. um yeah so i really like this documentary i was very excited about this movie because i'm a huge huge david bowie fan and um it's interesting because while while i was watching it i was thinking about brett morgan's other documentary film he made which a montage of heck which is the kurt cobain Mm -hmm. documentary um which was like 
very intense. Um, but I do think he's really good at like making documentaries that feel very much like the person who person. he's documenting yeah. actually made it. So Kurtz was very dark and it was very focused on like the traumas and the drug abuse and all that other stuff. And this one was very colorful and quick shots and kind of weird, quirky um, effects and all that other stuff. Like all of it felt very Bowie. And I thought that was such a good thing because obviously these people aren't alive anymore. So kind of direct their own version of their lives. So I think that having it pieced together the way he did it and also just having Bowie narrate the entire thing was a very smart move. I thought that was really cool. And um just seeing all of his, because I've seen like almost every documentary, almost every music video, almost every live um, performance, whatever. Um, there were a couple that I haven't seen. So that was cool to kind of see in this movie. But um, it's just, it looks so good on the big screen. Like seeing Bowie on the big screen was like, it just makes so much sense because he's such like a cinematic um, artist and yeah. like all of his music was very cinematic and he says like he wanted to do films but you know he started doing music instead and he eventually did become an actor so um, so just looking at it on the big screen just looked so fantastic like everything just looked a million times better I don't know like when you look at it on your laptop it's like one thing but when you're seeing it on the big screen it's like this is something you definitely have to see in the movie theaters like it's really yeah fun. A lot yeah. of those concert, like the, the concert scenes, was what grabbed me the most. Cause like, like not being able to experience those things when they happen, like, like Bowie is one of those. You can honestly, you gotta put Bowie in that Prince Michael Jackson yeah. tier. Like those are once I think Beyonce is on that precipice. Like mm. these artists don't come around that often. So when they do, like for like like for four decades like nothing mm -hmm. but hits and creativity and so that like and watching a lot of those those concert scenes and like in the theater like like i knew this movie wasn't going to be it's not like one of those movies like oh it's it's not gonna be one of those movies where people could go see so for me sitting there like there was like only like four people in theater with me but yeah. being in the center row watching mm -hmm. this movie and then those concert scenes and the music and how everything fills you like i felt like i was in those concerts now I, I had i wished man i wish i would have been able to see like boy perform live i was like mm -hmm. so enthralled with everything and it's not just that it's how not even beyond those scenes of the music the sound overall in this movie is amazing how um i don't know the editor behind this or the, the sound team behind this but they did an amazing job of mixing different elements coming in like there was one point in the movie where i don't know if you're it's the it's it's the beginning of the movie where they're on the the moon, the yeah. spaceman scene where the if you listen the sound is actually panning with the it's going from left to right with the with the, the camera yeah, yeah I I love those <laughs> things like that like those like those make my goosebumps single and it draws you so much into what you're what you're listening like all that was like so perfect and beautiful like it's like amazing. Yeah, it's so good. Like, it's so good. Just the the way everything was put together was just like a feast for the eyes, like a very yeah. visual like experience. And I have to say, like, the certain certain I think the live performances were definitely one of the highlights of it, because, again, when you're in the theater and it's on the big screen, you do feel like you're there. 
And I know when he was in his like Ziggy Stardust like mode with, you know, the red hair and, you know, all that stuff going on, all of it was black. And so the whole background was black. You like you couldn't really see what was going on with the with the band or other people. So it was just him. And like as he's staring into the crowd, he feels like he's staring into your soul. Like and you can totally see how like 17, 18, 19 year olds back in the 70s were so captivated by him because he looks like he is from like a different world. Yeah. And that and again, like you said, like that, like you don't get artists who are like that anymore, I don't think. Where there's such a like mystique around who they are. And so you're just so much more drawn in. And I think David was like an artist in the pure sense because he literally did like everything. Like he was a musician, but he was also like an actual artist. Like he actually painted and that was incorporated into the documentary, which I thought was great. And he was an actor and all this other stuff. So it's like, he did like everything. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, it's like you were saying, like you don't really get people who understand the art form in that way. um, And who have that type of mystique because that is kind of like a for like a foregone idea in terms of like real like what real superstars used to be and I, like you said Beyonce kind of has it too where it's like you don't really know anything about these people and so it adds to whatever they're giving you like whatever yeah. they give you it's like you're trying to like piece things together and get context clues because you actually don't know and that makes it more interesting so I feel exactly what you're saying because it's like yes that's true like the, the definition like like David Bowie was like a vagabond in every sense of the word, like beyond his his creative pursuits. He would, you know, he wasn't settled the one. It's like, oh, I want to do this. I'm gonna stick to it. He dabbled in this. He said like, oh, I did this, and when I got bored with it, I went to something else, and something else grabbed his attention. And he, it wasn't like he dabbled in anyway. So so in it, like he dabbled in it and became proficient and good at it. And then he would go to something else, and then he'd come back to it. Like watching those like when they put his art on the screen i was like blown away i was like bro i would like pay like right I, like, I, would, I would want one i buy this like i'm I like buy. how how is one man like and then you sh- they showed us like his storyboard and he so like i think every creative every writer has their own book of like what they're writing or sketches everything like they showed pages of that and i was like this man was like immensely talented and i always find it weird like he's one of those artists we only for some reason we water down just to oh he was a singer like he was so much more like it's like amazing like and i and i think like like i just said the word vagabond like beyond his art it was also him as a person like he spoke about not being settled being in one place he went from england went to california spent time in california then he's like yeah I'm there, but you know, I'm too comfortable. It's not really helping me with my art. I need a change of pace. He goes to a, a East Berlin or West Berlin, you know, during mm-hmm. the height of that the Cold War and that that mm-hmm. issue that issue. He goes there, he starts creating, he paints the people in isolation, which he himself he says, I'm a very isolated person. And then, you know, from there he moves to like like Japan and he like he's going around East Asia and stuff like that and his his work is being influenced and he you know gets with Amon lives in New York his art like the 2000s era of you know Bowie is influenced by that environment like he absorbed like so much and it's it's not it's not surprising because he said in his document he was a very introvert and like I'm I'm an introvert to a degree so I could I could see how those things influence because a lot of times like art was his way of expressing himself like 
introverts, we will sit back and we observe. And this is one of his few outlets, you know. And it's not just that him being introvert, even said he was concerned about his mental health because his brother, you know, had mental health issues. So this this thought process and stuff was like his therapy of like letting all think all that out. And I'm, I'm like, I'm just amazed that like, because a lot of people don't recognize those issues themselves. And he did it himself. And like, he came out on the side, comes back 80s. He's like, oh, this might not be my best work because it's too easy. And like, why is it easy? Is that because I'm happy? Like he, mm-hmm. he overcame all that on his own. And then he was like, I'm worried about my work because I'm happy. I'm in a place where I look back at all my experiences and look where I come from. And I'm, and I'm happy. Like mm-hmm. that is like, like that right there, those two things of him coming back from all his this pitfalls and issues and saying, I'm happy when he made his reappearance. That is probably the, the core of Bowie. And that's also a reignite his second, his second coming, if you will, if you say, because he that's when he started like, you know, acting in movies and stuff like that. That second run of Bowie is probably his like greatest run because at that point he is he he was complete. He knew who he was. He wasn't hiding behind the masks and personas, you know. So Yeah. So that's another point of like there's a lot about his philosophy about life and about love and about spirituality. What did you think about that, feel about it? What kind of stood out to you in those narrations as he's kind of, as you're kind of going on that journey with him through his music and then also through his life? Very, it's very relatable. I think it's one of those things where nobody, because like, you know, the phrase, no man is an island. We all assume we are. We don't really, you know, really think about us going through all of those experiences. But he even said, like, when he was talking about his paintings in Berlin, how he was drawing people isolated alone, he even said, as he's painting these people, he's like, there's a bit of me in these paintings as well. Like, we're all dealing with the same things. And he was like, he was like, there was a point where he became in his mid-30s where he was like, he reached a clarity. Like, he understood everything. Like, some people hit that precipice at different points. Like, some people hit earlier, some people later. So it was, like, refreshing, especially coming from a celebrity because most celebrities nowadays they're so curated to the perception that they have it was refreshing to hear somebody say yeah i have these issues or i have these issues i had to deal with them and i masked some you know my ziggy stardust phase you know all my phases as a, as an artist you know they were to protect myself from being hurt so it was like it was really refreshing to hear that you know mm, yeah I was, it was really interesting to hear. I, a lot of, a lot of things that he was saying, I was like, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Um, some of it, I was like, what? <laughs> Only because I feel like he speaks in like a lot of metaphors. <laughs> and I was just like, wait, what are you saying right now? But like, overall, I think, I think I got the idea. But um, what I will say is that I feel like there are certain things that are missing because in terms of like, if you don't know, like if you're not, if you're not really that familiar with him or his story, because I feel like one of the things is that like, he had a son for like a duration of his, like from his early days before Ziggy and all that stuff, he had like an entire, like he has a child. And I thought it was really weird that like, it's okay if you don't mention kids. Cause I feel like if the kids don't want to be in it, that's fine. But um, I did find it interesting that his understanding of like relationships was, was so distant because it's like, 
well, then what do you feel for your kid? Because it's because when he was talking about like love and all this other stuff and like, well, no, it can't interfere with my work. Like I keep it at a distance. And this was like. Maybe in the late 70s, early 80s, when he was saying this stuff. Ziggy Stardust phase. No, after. After. So there's like, yeah, there's like multiple. multiple Yeah, multiple phases. Yeah. Um, The Ziggy Stardust phase is like early days. And then he had like his um, All-American where he was like working with a lot of black artists like Luther Vandross and people like that. We had that like strawberry blonde hair and he was in the limo like that, that phase. Um, and then there was a phase right after that where he went back to his blonde hair and he made like, and he was living in Berlin. He made Low, which is like my favorite Bowie album um, and stuff like that. So it was like around that time where he was talking about like the distance he feels. And it was just interesting to me that like the kid never got brought up. I don't know. For some reason it's like, I don't know. Cause I watched, there's a documentary called Sound and Vision. I don't know if it's still on YouTube. They might Maybe it's still there, but you know, copyright stuff, it might not be there anymore. But um, that one is actually like a really in-depth look at his life going from like when he was a child to I think like the early 2000s. So that's more in-depth. And I think yeah, if you're going to watch this, I would say watch that in partnership with this just because like this will give you a lot of the musical artistic side, but in terms of like personal stuff, like because it's Bowie speaking to us through this documentary, you're not going to get everything because obviously no one's going to d- divulge all the information about their life, you know, but these are other people who knew him and stuff. Those are like personal accounts of their friendship and all the other stuff. Like you'll get that from that documentary. Um, but I do feel like not talking about the, not talking about his son, not talking about the drug abuse. That was, that was a little weird to me because the reason why he's getting the clarity is because he got sober. It's not like yeah. something just like, his mind. He's like yeah. I'm 30. So I figured it out. Like that's not what happened. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, he was very much struggling with drug abuse. And, and when he moved to Berlin, it wasn't, it was because he was trying to get clean. So it, there's, there are certain setups in this movie that, by themselves are fine but i think in terms of like context of like okay the whole isn't there right like why did this happen like why did a b c and d happen it's because of these other things that were going on behind the scenes so it's like or maybe not i think maybe people knew about it by that time not sure but yeah so it's like i kind of wish that was factored in there just because you know there are people who are very who are struggling with abuse and who are very creative people and actually that's their outlet like that's a way that that helps them it keeps them going even if they're still struggling with abuse so it's nice to hear that like a person who has had so much success also struggled with those issues and was able to overcome it i feel like well you don't really overcome but you manage. are able to get clean and manage yeah exactly so i think that was really i think that's such an important piece of it because when you're looking at the footage when he's in the limo and stuff and he seems like a little out of it it's cuz he was on drugs so it's like the creative process was maybe influenced by something other than just his creativity and his imagination. You know what I'm saying? So I kind of wish they put that in there. I really wish that they talked more about how he was so closely um, collaborating with black artists. Like that actually is a really huge point. That's really, that's one of the reasons why I'm a huge fan of his because 
he was calling out MTV, all these other stations for not playing black artists. Like he was really working with black artists, spotlighting them. Even if he like got influenced by their music, he was still crediting them. Like they were still on his tours. They were still in part of his creative process. Like, I just feel like they should have added that in there as well, because I feel like there were very limited artists who were doing stuff like that at that time. And you think about someone like Elvis, who we have a movie about, right? And which oh, they no. like, we know stole so much from black artists. And then they kind of like touched on it in the Elvis movie and then kind of glossed over it and kind of moved on. Ooh, I'm like, yeah, and kind of like moved on from it, um, which I don't like because we know what Elvis did. So it's like, don't try to, anyway, that's a separate conversation. But um, I just oh, feel like I don't think it's a separate. I think it's an important conversation because yeah. I think that that speaks to I think I referenced it in the beginning. I was talking about Elton John. Like mm-hmm. that's the difficulty of writing all the writing biopics and documentaries for iconic people who are dead because it becomes very. Even though this movie is amazing, is it's very Bowie. All those moments that mm. help form the perfect person that he helped he later on became aren't mm. there are, are mm. not there like like elton john he was like yeah i want all these bad moments like he little else like rocket man literally ends with elton john coming out of recovery mm. you know and because mm. he's like that was my lowest point and mm. you guys know about me at post post you know post my drug recovery but i want to get you to that point to know realize what took me to those points and because you already already know where i'm at now so that's that's my issue with a lot of these documentaries about people who have passed on it's it's you don't get a complete image of them yeah yeah that's what i'm like if you if you're interested in bowie like go like watch the other documentary um because this one is very good and like i'm not trying to like take anything away from it i'm just saying like I feel like there are certain things that are kind of important to mention. And I thought the the dismissal of the child, the drug abuse, <laughs> and then also like, I think that you like, you saw like black people around him, but in, ter- in terms of like actually discussing like how integral black music was in his own like understanding of music in the first place. And then how he worked with black artists to create more music and stuff like that. I thought that would have been great to add in there and you could have done it in a visual way and like still kept with the tone of the film. Um, because if you watch the Kurt Cobain documentary, it's all of that. It's so dark. Like when I, t- I had to like step away for a second after I watched that. Cause I was like, Whoa, this is incredibly tense. And it's done in sort of the same way where Kurt Cobain is actually kind of narrating a lot of the pieces of it. So it's very like, ah, oh, it's, it was too much for me, but it was so good though, but <laughs> it was just a lot. So, yeah, I just wish they kind of added those points in there. But overall, I do think they did a good job with, like, highlighting pieces of his life, showing how he struggled with his family, struggled with mental health issues, struggled with, well, they didn't struggle with drug abuse. But um, I think they just showed, like, he was a person who struggled with things. And then you kind of get to the end, like, 90s and then early 2000s where he meets Iman and he falls in love and his whole philosophy is different. Like, it's not not in terms of, like, the creativity, but in terms of how he looks at love and relationships and other people, like, it's just shifts so, so much. And you can just see, like, he's obviously healing. 
And that was a really nice thing to see at the end of it. It was like, yes, we're, we're on this journey of self-discovery with you through your music. And then we get to the point where like, you're doing really well. Like that makes, that's just, that's nice. Like, it's nice to see someone who's like, who's kind of going through it, come out on the other side, like better. Yeah, I, I do wish, because I think very few people like nowadays know that Bowie was making music up until he died. Like his last yeah. album was released two, like two days after he died. Like, mm-hmm. and yeah. that was released posthumously. I do wish, like near the tail, the at the end of the movie, they played um those videos there to actually you know give more depth because they kind of ended with the er- the early two thousands, you know, Matrix stuff, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Which we do know Bowie is kind of you know always being shown and promoted because his view like as the internet was becoming a thing they were interviewing him like his viewpoint understanding of the internet what it was capable of and what it become was actually very Mm -hmm. very dead on Mm -hmm. so i understand why they ended the movie at that at that juncture because it really showed more than anything how in tune he was with the times as they are changing and i think that was also the most impactful thing for him as an artist like, yes, you know, he would delve into different sounds and styles, you know, the Glenmark era, you know, stuff like that. His neoclassic, you know, like up until he died, stuff like that revival kind of thing. But he always, even though he took sounds from different areas, he always knew how to still make them him. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, as Bowie was in his, Bowie was in his 60s, but up until he died, there was some quality about his music where he could always reach that younger demographic, which yes. I always thought was like, if you, if you're looking for, like we say, like, you know, trouble man, trouble man encapsulates the black experience in the seventies with that whole, that whole album right there. Mm-hmm. I do think Bowie's whole discography encompasses the era of the cold war, almost seventies mm-hmm. to now, like that whole experience. And it sound like, Honestly, I think that Ziggy's his Ziggy sort of stuff, that whole persona is so groundbreaking because it really, the whole thought process behind that is he's alien, mm. he's trying to save the world from being destroyed. People think of him and know he's a, a messiah, he's a hero, and they come to worship him. Like early, that stuff is like the precursor to how people view modern celebrities. Like it's mm-hmm. it's so weird. Mm-hmm. Like from from back then, like that path is still there. Like for some reason he knew like, look, this is how people are going to revere and celebrate celebrities. And we look now on Twitter. There's always like, like right now you got Cardi beef, Nicki Minaj, Stan, Stan, like their fans going at it. Like there's always like to be that forward thinking is, is amazing. That's why I like think he always, that's a magical ability to always know the mindset of a younger generation is is amazing yeah. you know he was always ahead of the curve like that's yeah. what that's why he's so iconic because like yeah. he was doing stuff before anyone else was and then once people caught on he moved on to the next thing and i was yeah. like yeah that's exactly right i think the only time where he was more like in lockstep with what was happening was probably like during the 80s like during yeah. that modern love moment but then after that he went right back to doing whatever he wanted to do so like mm-hmm. he was working with trent Reznor and stuff people like that like People who are like, you, I mean, I know, we know who Trent Reznor is because, he, you know, he scores movies, but like I'm saying, like, before he was doing that, I think he was like working with Bowie and I'm like, yeah, exactly. You're right on it. 
Um, and I think they showed a little bit of Black Star, which is his last album at the very end, like very, very briefly. Yeah, bits and, then, and pieces, yeah. Yeah, and then I think it ended. Um, but like you said, like his influence is so, it's deeply felt. Lady Gaga is like one of the, can I stop hitting this desk? Lady Gaga <laughs> is like one of the main people who have, who you can see like a direct influence from like him to her. Um, you have Lord, Frank Ocean, people who are like really inspired by him and are almost in the same vein of like having a mystique, having a character almost kind of be that forward thing that you see. And then the real person is something kind of hidden. Um, and I think that comes directly from him and his influence. So yeah, he's just groundbreaking in every single way. I mean, even to the point of, and that's why like, I love this man because he just touched every single area, like in terms of fashion, looks, the whole androgyny thing, which you see Harry Styles and all these other people trying to do. He started yeah. that. Yeah. It was him all the way back. I mean, he didn't start it. He's like, one of the he's one of those Richard guys. and people Little like that actually did it back yeah. in the day. But he, yeah. I think, really popular popularized it to the point where like <laughs> there, the questions that those interviewers were asking were so stupid. But um where are, he would be are like, those oh. girl shoes or man shoes? Like, like they're shoe shoes, shoes. Yeah. <laughs> but he was like the he really popularized that kind of idea. So it's like again, into every aspect, he just touches everything. And then he married a supermodel. So like obviously he was gonna like be in the fashion world. His fashion has always kind of been transformative. He was working with Japanese designers and stuff like that during his Ziggy tour. And so, so it's like when you look at the photographs and stuff that they had on on screen, I'm like, this dude looks like a model. It's crazy. Like, these photos could have been taken yesterday. Like everything looked so good. <laughs> so it's crazy. It's just like the man just knew what he was doing. Like he did. I love those ads of him when he was in Japan. It's like him in all white, just looking really like cool as hell with the little mushroom top haircut almost every white kid had in elementary school. And he's just holding a cup and he just stares. Like he's staring at the screen while Japanese words are coming down, like piercing into your soul with his eyes. Mm -hmm. I was like, gosh, man, this like I can see why he had a lot of women fans and a lot of men fans. This man was like, you know, untouchable. Mm -hmm. And it's to the point where people were confused about his sexuality. I think he was really later that he did admit he was like bi bisexual. But um Yeah, he said like, he was and then he said he wasn't. Yeah. You know, I'm not <laughs> mean to judge that you do you. Mm. But like it's to the point where those his those glam faces he had, as much as people hated it, you had a lot of imitators in like rock and roll, like you have mm -hmm. you know Kiss is a band, like, and if Kiss literally said, "Yeah, we're gonna wear makeup, we're gonna wear platform hits, we're gonna do all that." You have all these hair metal band like Poison mm -hmm. and stuff like that. As much as they derided Bowie and his look of androgyny, they were all like, "Yo, this man is selling. We have to copy that." As much as they were on the side, like talking like, whenever you're original and weird, people always kind of deride it as something is wrong with you, mm -hmm. until they realize, oh him being himself is making him money i'm going to copy him and make my own money like mm -hmm. it's it's funny weird is always weird until oh i can make money being weird let me be weird too and then it becomes commodified in some way which i thought was you know really interesting so yeah he had this like mix of like strangeness and like sexuality or sensuality rather 
which I think is what you said appealed to everybody because everyone felt like they were kind of getting something from whatever he was um, or putting out there. So it just felt like, like you didn't really know what he was, who he was, who he loved, what he was doing in his real life. So again, like I was saying before, it all just builds intrigue. And so an intrigue sells. If people are interested, that's what's going to make the bucks. And And I think that's why it doesn't work to the degree that, you know, Harry Styles and his people think they do. Mm. It's, it's, there's, like, there's not a knock on Harry Styles, you know, he's wants to act, he's, he can sing, he's poor, like, there's something about him, like, that whole, the whole androgyny, this whole, that whole mystique that, you know, you know, Bowie had, you know, Prince had, Little Richard has, to a degree mm-hmm. Michael Jackson had, that mm-hmm. Harry, Harry doesn't have, and it doesn't come off the same way you know it's not a knock on him it yeah. just doesn't come off that same like dang i want to be this dude it doesn't feel the same way as it did with those guys yeah you know? i think that's because we know too much like especially if you followed him from the one direction days it's I, I, gonna, the thing is well i, I don't did, know much yeah i did i did so i yeah. can say i can say and i and i'm a harry fan i'm mm. not a harry stan but i'm a harry fan mm. so um i think it's because you kind of i saw him yeah grow up in a sense so like the the transformation to what he is now i think is um like i like it i like what he's doing i like the space he's making in the world but it doesn't there isn't like i said mystique because yeah we know you know what i'm saying (laughs) like so it's it's hard for us to it's hard to buy into that kind of strangeness that that oh my god what are you like what is this i never heard this before i've never seen it before like we we have seen it before and we have heard it before and then we know a little bit too much yeah. about you as a person so it kind of takes away from you know yeah. the image yeah. yeah so but um yeah i was humming along in my seat there was only like a couple of people in my theater as well but nobody yeah. was singing so i didn't sing out loud <laughs> i just hummed along in my seat during the songs that i loved and yeah, I'm just glad that they played they played the hits. I was waiting for the under pressure like Queen David Bowie collab like moment, but it didn't happen. Or the the Mick Jagger Bowie collabs like all those. Yeah. I want like I was expecting all those deep cuts. I'm expecting, I you know this being about Bowie and how he deals with celebrity. I thought like fame would have popped up there yeah. once in a while, but yeah. Do they do they mix it into like another? Like they were mixing songs, like they were mixing they were mix, they were mix, into something, yeah. but like with the actual yeah. score of it. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, did they mix it with a part of a score? I don't know. Yeah. I'll have to watch it again to figure it out. Yeah. But yeah. Um. Yeah. I guess I don't really know. I feel like I word vomited into this because I feel very passionate about it. But were there like any parts of the documentary that was especially your favorite something that's going to stick out to you or that you're going to keep in your memory as you go forward no i mean i mean it's just the stuff dealing with you know the mental side and his 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 journey and him admitting you know inch inch for it well even slash as a capricorn he's very guarded and i was like yeah i can i definitely (laughs) i'm i'm really guarded i i take all it takes me a while to like reveal the layer something like this like it's very poignant and you know very relatable you know because mm. you know mo- like i said before most people don't you know admit to what they're dealing like because even though we didn't get the issues with him 
the drug the drug addiction stuff like that you could tell even with those being there that he had overcome you know something so yeah i mean it's even without those moments i think if you're a person who's dealing with anything like this is one of those movies you know and not just not just for him as an individual but the how beautiful it, it is in its entirety it's so it's a beautiful movie yeah yeah. I, I think all of the performances are really good got to me. All of that time he spent in, I guess, East Asia was really fascinating to just watch, especially when he's on the elevators and everyone's like, is that him? <laughs> I, I like that a lot. Um, I yeah. am amazed at like how other countries view celebrity because every shot of him in like England or in the US, it's pandemonium. Mm-hmm. But he went to Asia and he was like, yeah, I don't have any security. I'm at the airport walking through with my guy filming me for my personal stuff. You know, I'm going to go through the mall and escalator and people just look. And that's mm-hmm. it. I like, like, I'm more, I'm surprised that more like celebrities don't leave like the U.S. and stuff and go to other countries. Well, now because, it would be different. because Well, now it's, yeah, now it's <laughs> yeah. different. With the internet. Everyone knows everything. But, um, yeah, but I'm like, that like I think that must have been especially knowing how introverted he was and how isolated he liked to be being in those environments without people fighting him for his attention probably was like the most therapeutic experience he could ever ask for you know? yeah definitely I thought that all that stuff was really really cool and also like just seeing his journey as a, an artist that he was just constantly transforming I thought that was great like he never stuck with one thing just because it was a thing that was working yeah like he always just continued to chase that curiosity and i think that's just like a great lesson for anyone who is in the space of like you know don't do the thing that's easy or comfortable like always go for the thing that's challenging because you're going to become better for it and i think that's that's what i took away from it from the documentary overall and, so. and i think that was what also helped his longevity because yes during his berlin phase he mentioned like yeah i thought about like playing it like are you there like are you worried you know about you know your the new bowie like how it'll isolate your fans and he's like i have money and stuff i don't care like i'm about self-discovering i think like once again like prince michael jackson beyonce like these good artists these once a generation artists they're never comfortable with one thing they're always aesthetically steady evolving like we see it like we saw it with michael you know from thriller all the way to invincible as music changed like invincible is probably more closer to more modern r&b in a way than his other stuff Mm. we've seen beyonce go from more of a pop sound to a more black soulful sound more embracing those kind of things like like the artists that evolve with the times and with and in their music always have a longer longevity. I think that goes beyond music. I think as individuals, we are meant to evolve and stagnation is boring. Don't like the summary of Bowie's life and everything is like, don't be stagnant. Always evolve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so what would you rate this? Or yeah, it doesn't have to be a network, it could be like a star system if you want to do it though. A star system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm going to give it four, 4.5 out of 5 stars. Um, yeah. 
that's because this, this, like I said, like we've read this project, this document is inherently Bowie. Mm-hmm. It's everything Bowie, but it's still missing those those moments of deepness and those mm. those pits that like we saw all the peaks. We never saw any, any of the valleys. Mm. And I think the valleys are what helps helps the peaks, especially the practice. And especially with the things Bowie was saying, those those pits would have probably helped a lot more in the understanding of his peaks. So yeah. Yeah. I like that score. I'll give it like I think I gave it like a three and a three and a half, almost four stars on yeah. Somewhere around that three point eight for one of those in the in that mix. Um I think that it was incredibly I think the visual storytelling was amazing. Like it was really incredible. Um, but there are some nuances that do get lost in there. So it can sometimes just seem like a lot of highly stylized stuff and maybe not as substantive, but I don't even think that's true. I think there's a lot of substance in here. Um, but just the context of where these things take place, I think is good to know if you're interested. So again, if that documentary sound division is available online, definitely check it out. You can watch it after you watch this, but definitely go see this. It's very great. Moving on to all the box office stuff, you know. Um, so of course, uh, Women King, you know, much there's a lot of talk along with that movie, of course, you know, with um, uh, Little Mermaid, especially with people dealing with the depiction of characters, especially characters of color but beyond that it's looking like women king is looking like a major um oscar contender for viola davis um it when it debuted like for this second week it held on to about fifth uh i think 12 million dollars and for like almost a 40 million dollar 10 day total from the past couple weeks since its debut um it was never expected to do well domestically but it's uh has a lot of potential overseas. So and it has like so far a strong showing as, you know, um the Crawdad Singh, which debuted in the past summer. Um and this movie is it's it's the money it's making shows there's a viability for about uh films about in full women in theaters instead of, you know, just tossing them onto streaming uh, just to make money. So we'll see how that goes. Um, Hopefully, we don't know. It's not looking. We don't know where it's going to end up. As far as where Viola and Gina Price Braithwood, where it'll end up. But we, it's it's predicted to be an Oscar contender. Um, along with that, also, you know, people. Of course, we talked about this last week. People still care about, you know, Avatar. Avatar was re-released and it opened up to, uh, ten million and I think thirty million worldwide. You know this. It, Avatar is one of those movies with a lot of discourse behind it. Like we, I mentioned, like last week, we were talking about how he was telling people in um, Fox and Titanic, like, let me make, I can do what I want. I, I pay for the slot. I'm going to make Avatar. You know, for the honesty, the story of Avatar is simple, but the 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 visual element of Avatar is groundbreaking. So it's it's Avatar has like a weird cultural impact because it's not a movie like you can point out to a moment in the movie and but oh what's your favorite scene in this movie? You can't no one really has a favorite scene in the movie, but it's 
impact in film is it's it's really weird if you if you really want to think about it like usually movies like this you can say that scene that moment that's it but avatar really doesn't have that moment um so but yeah but beyond that um so of course in the domestic box office numbers uh minions rise Groot is at nine uh top gun maverick 18 weeks um it's now currently at it's now dropping out of top top 10 almost last week and what was not last week it was six now it's nine dc supervisor eight a bullet train dropped from five to seven see how they run is at six uh pearl an 824 film is at five barbarian goes from two to four of course i mentioned avatars re-release a while ago it came in at third um woman king dropped from two from from one last week to two this week but don't worry darling you know a movie full of drama behind the scenes um <laughs> debuting at number one um domestically um it's very varied um you have top gun maverick in japan um you have uh beast with idris alba kenya nigeria denmark uh of Ticket to Paradise, George Clooney, Julie Roberts, Holding Station in Germany, Egypt, and um, Australia. You have uh, UK, Don't Worry, Young's number one movie there. Avatars of France, Italy, you know, Women King in Brazil, Lunay's Daydream, that we're watching right now, that we're talking about right now, and Netherlands. So, at least for right now, as the numbers from this week can come in, it's a very uh, diverse um, viewing palette globally even though majority of movies in number one of these countries are universal pictures properties but still it's really um varying tastes and degrees of people enjoying different movies all over the place so yeah well speaking of don't worry darling um i don't want to talk about this movie anymore (laughs) or any of the drama following it but Mm -hmm. We are going to have to talk about it, but after that, I am done with this <laughs> um, because I'm just so tired of all of it. Apparently, Kiki Lane was cut from most of her of the movie. She plays a small but really important role in um, in the movie, and she said online that she was cut from it. So she was basically saying like the best thing about Don't Worry, Darling is that I was lucky enough to meet. Ariel Stachel, which is, I think, the person who plays with her in, I think that's probably her husband in the movie or whatever. Um, she says, they cut us from most of the movie, but we thrive in, in real life, end quote. So, you know, I don't know. I guess this maybe gives people more of a reason to just, like, crap on this movie, but I don't know, because to me, it's like, it doesn't really matter how anyone felt about it, because at the end of the day, it still is number one at the box office. I feel like they rode whatever drama train this was right to the box office. So it's like, well, y'all still went to go see it. So <laughs> what can you say? Look, drama sells. And I can't lie. Yeah. I was one of the people who saw it. You'll get my my feelings on it. Don't worry, darling. Oh, yeah, I can't wait week. for your feelings on it. So, you know, drama, drama sells. So, yeah. hey, you, you, but um. Moving on to another form of drama, of course, um, you mentioned a couple of days ago me talking about uh, um, Ana de Animas and No Time to Die, her character Paloma, how the innocence was shown through it, and how I'm not surprised beyond just her physical features, how playing those moments uh, influenced her being cast at all as Marilyn Monroe Blonde. Um, of course, um, 
uh, Blonde is directed by uh, Andrew Dominic. It's been kind of controversial during this uh, this festival season. People are still praising the movie. Some are also disappointed in it because of the you know of course the depictions of abortion and predominantly nudity. This movie is predominantly done underneath a male glaze of Marilyn Monroe, which was the summation of her career. It's kind of awkward if you're doing a intimate picture about a person who had to deal with the issue of being presented under the male glaze, not just in in her movies, but also behind the scenes with the producers, which put her in those predicaments. It's kind of weird why you continue to do that in a biopic that's about her. But um, Andy Amash, she spoke about uh, the film's use of um, nudity um, and its portrayal of um, um, Marilyn Monroe in those those scenes. Um, she said she's not bothered by other people's interpretation of it. She said it was harder for people to watch those scenes than for her to make because she understood what she was doing and she felt protected and safe. She said she didn't feel exploited because she was controlled and made that decision and she knew... Uh, she knew in the movie what she was doing, and she said she trusted her director, and she felt she was in a safe environment, uh, and that she had tons of conversations about with between him and other people behind the scenes, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, she got the benefit Marilyn Monroe never got, I guess. So I guess that's why she was able to feel safe in those nude scenes, whereas Marilyn Monroe didn't really have that control in agency. It's 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 kind of funny in in the movie about the person, the actress has control agency put the actual person they didn't have this it's you know life is weird sometimes but yeah so um yeah so i, I so i don't know if you, anybody wants to see blonde who's listening to it listen to the podcast or watching if we put this portion on um youtube but yeah that's those those were anna's feelings about the movie and in its whole so hey this is such a confusing thing for me every single time. I mean, I, f- I feel like I've made my point about how I feel about nudity in movies already, but mm-hmm. um, it's so funny because at the end of this article, I think someone had mentioned like, you know, people put these clips, like, like they clip these things and they put them online without context. And she was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I know that really sucks. I hate it. It's disgusting. You know, um, all this other type of stuff about like how, you know, we don't have any control over it and blah, blah, blah. And it's just so amazing to me that that's a, that that is what they're thinking about in terms of like, you wanted to do this. Like you signed up for this, knowing that we live in the age of the internet. People can Mm -hmm. clip any of these scenes. It's on Netflix. So we don't even have to go to the theater to go like scam and find it and try to like, grab a screening like it literally is on your computer and you can do it right from there put that straight on you to youtube so it's like it's so amazing to me that the idea of like well i i'm gonna do this because i feel comfortable and i feel like this is the right artistic choice for me and then simultaneously be like yeah but i hate that people are gonna are gonna see it out of context it's like you're right you you don't have any control over that portion of it so is that not anything that goes through your mind before you accept the role or even to just tailor it to where you don't have that many new scenes or any? Like the idea that you need it, it doesn't, it, again, doesn't make any sense to me. Like I, I just feel like you don't, you don't need it at all. I was watching this interview with um, Kira Knightley and she was talking about a movie she did with David Cronenberg. 
and how there were a lot of sex nudity scenes in it. And she was like, I'm not going to do any of that. And if that means I don't get the movie, then that's fine. And he was like, listen, we'll take it out. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Right. So I just feel like everyone needs to have that mindset. It's just like you don't need it in the movie because that is what's going to happen. People are going to view it out of context. They're not going to have any respect for the process that you put on it while you were making it. They're going to watch it and do whatever they want to do to it. And there's nothing you can do about that. So are people coming to the film to actually see this in-depth look at Marilyn or are they just going there to see you naked? Like, who knows? Yeah. And I just feel like, I mean, Anna has done this before. I think in Blame Runner, she was, she did nude scenes in that. So I'm, I'm sure she's fine with it. It's not really about how she feels about it, I guess, necessarily. Because like, if she didn't feel like she wanted to do it, she wouldn't have done this like at mm-hmm. all. So... But I just think it's funny that like, they're like, well, I, I want to do this because it's integral to the film, but I also am, I also hate the fact that other people are going to just watch it out of context. And it's like, that's the deal. Like, that's what happens. I can, I can kind of see her point of view being in the fact, it's the same way everybody complain, everybody, whether you, whatever project you do, whether you're an artist or a filmmaker or whatever, when everything, something, a piece of it leaks online and people don't get the whole context of it, like, understand me, you're going to, all the nude scenes of this movie are going to leak because people are perverted and perverse people, particularly men, and just want to see Anna almost naked. That's the easiest mm-hmm. way. I have a Netflix subscription. I can see Anna, Anna Yarmouth. Like, it's it's going to happen. But I do understand from an artistic viewpoint, um, the context, I guess, of those nude scenes is missing. Um, because, and that's also another top issue. Like, I understand, like, I think as, I've gone older and I've progressed and we're watching more movies. My view of nudity in films, like, I was always like, oh, it's in there, it's in there, it's whatever. But now I'm like, does it help service the picture? Does it serve mm-hmm. a purpose? Mm-hmm. Like, in Lola, the nudity in Lola makes sense because it's predominantly, the most of nudity we get in Lola is... Did I Lola, watch movie? yeah, we watched Lola. Um, remember the, the the Twitter move, the Twitter story that became a movie. Oh, Zola? Yeah, Zola. Sorry, I don't know why I said Lola. Oh, Zola. Sorry, I you know. Sorry. <laughs> well, you okay. get well, you get my point. The hmm. the nudity in that movie was men to showcase the awkwardness and the weirdness of the situation she was in, and also because penises are weird. Let's just be honest. So in that movie, the nudity you know, had an artistic reason to it. And then you have Tatane that we saw on the other side where she's having sex with the cars. It doesn't help the story thematically. Like, I think that's where my my thing with nudity is. If it helps thematically with the movie, yes. If it doesn't need to be there, if, this, if it's not to the service of the story, remove it, you know? So, mm-hmm. and I haven't seen Blonde yet, so I can't yeah. say it's to the service of the movie or it isn't, so. Yeah. I just feel like as a director, it's your job to learn how to, or to know how to do, or how to communicate rather certain things in various ways. Yeah. Like, I feel like the thing with me, it's like, it always, because it's like a common practice, right? It's, it always feels like that's just the first step. Like, yeah, this scene, you're going to be naked because the audience needs to know that you're vulnerable. Like, okay, sure. But you're telling me you can't communicate that in any other way. Like there's no other way you can show that this character is vulnerable other than me being naked in the shower. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
And that's my issue with it. My issue with it is always presented like this is important for the story. And my thing is like, well, is it really or are you just not thinking of other ways to do this because you're used to doing it in this certain way? Like, this is what producers feel like will work, screenwriters, audiences. So I'm just going to do it in the way that I've, I've always done it or how it's always been done. Not realizing that, you know, back in the day when there were censors or stuff, like when there's a lot of censures over movies, like couples can't even sleep in the same bed, you know, there were still great films being made. So you can't, that's what I'm saying. It's like, you can't tell me that you need it for the story. Like you just can't, like if you watch Rare Window or whatever, you know, one of those movies where it's yeah. very suggestive, you can still get the desired effect because the filmmaker knew what they were doing. Like you didn't need to see the person naked. And that's kind of where I stand on it. Cause it's just like, you can't tell me that you need it because I've seen other movies where they've done it and they've done it well without all that other stuff. Yeah. So again, that's my stance. I, I don't know how many more times I have a stance, but like whenever it comes up, I'll talk about it. Cause I just feel like that's something that people aren't acknowledging um, all the time. And then I feel like um, you, you made another point about like, oh yeah. So about Marilyn herself, a person who was already exploited in life, like yeah. to the umph degree to make this film First of all, to have a man direct this, I really, I really wish a woman had directed this movie. I feel like it would be completely different. Mm. Um, I'm not saying female, female filmmakers don't do stuff with nudity. I mean, we just saw Titan, like, so that's not, it's not, that's not true. I'm just saying, like, the viewpoint, the gaze of it would be very understanding. Different, right, it would be very yeah. different, and there probably wouldn't be that much of that stuff in there because for it to be rated um nc 17 whatever it must be like a large portion yeah i'm not sure i'm not familiar with the rating systems or whatever but i think that's what that means so yeah i just and i just feel like hasn't she already like been exposed so much over the lifetime like over the her lifespan and to just bring it back and do it again and it just i don't know it feels like not a slight, because again, haven't seen the movie, don't know what they're going to do with it, but it just seems like all that stuff just seems super unnecessary, especially with a person like her, where she was so, like, the fact that she was actually talented as an actor is something that we're just now coming to, come to grips with. Like, for the majority mm. of our life, people did not see her like that. They just saw her as a sex symbol. And so yeah. it's just it just feels like they're perpetrating that kind of idea through what through these nudity scenes. Like it just seems excessive in a way that it shouldn't, especially when it comes to her. But again, having the movie, so don't really know, but yeah. I'm just, from what I'm gathering, it doesn't seem great. Yeah, the, the male glaze is a really... Say glaze one more time. Glaze, or gaze. Sorry, I don't want to say glaze. <laughs> I'm hungry, it's late, have me in. <laughs> well, that's me. See, you made it sound worse, and it actually, <laughs> you made it see. Now my head went totally different. That's hard. You're horrible. But no, the ma the male view. Okay, yeah. when it comes to women in Hollywood, is is I don't think every we've ever actually, as like an industry, really sat and had a long thought out conversation because, of course, Marilyn Monroe has been trapped forever as a sex symbol. And that of editing and at the unedited end of the section, we have um Audrey Hepburn is trapped in youth forever, mm. eternally. 
you know, even to the point where a couple years ago they had a ice cream commercial and it's young, it's young, the young version of her when she had life. Like they, they, Hollywood has a tendency to trap and commodify a lot of these women at certain points or just stagnate them and keep them trapped there. So it's a, it's a lot to, it's a deep, deep, deep issue. Mm -hmm. But I think the industry, you know, it's a long time the industry got has a chance to address um so yeah yeah okay moving on to our last story um constance Wu says she faced sexual harassment intimidation on fresh off the boat set and that she kept her mouth shut for a really long time um so she i guess she said that she kept quiet for years for fear of sullying the reputation of a groundbreaking show starring asian americans and yeah that's fair like I can totally understand why she wouldn't feel comfortable speaking up, um, considering that this was something that was like really new and that people were accepting after years of like not having that representation. So she said um, after the first two seasons, um, one was a success. Once I was no longer scared of losing my job, that's when I was able to start saying no to the harassment, no to the intimidation from this particular producer. And I thought, you know what? I handled it. No one has to know. I don't have to stain this American, this Asian American producer's reputation. I don't have to stain the reputation of this show. Um, first of all, Constance been going through a lot. Like, I, I think she was like off of the internet for a while. And now like all the stuff is coming out. I'm like, yo, she has been through it. So that's really, and then honestly, like, that's really why a lot of people stay silent because they're afraid of one losing their jobs, but also, like, when you're in a role like that, you know, maybe having people look at the show, which is doing something new and great, um, looking at that with kind of, you know, in a really bad way, just because of something that someone else did. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard also, you know, Knowing the fact that this is like honestly fresh on the boat was, you know, of course, we everybody saw crazy rich Asians, but fresh off the boat was her, you know, big career break. She was acting on a lot of stuff, but this was the thing. And you also have to understand she was at a, a early point in her career. She didn't have the clout. She wasn't like something uh Michelle Yo or Michelle Yo, if she's put in that situation, she'd be like, Yeah, no, I'm Michelle Yo. This is not how I have a long career in Hollywood and Hong Kong and in mm -hmm. film. We stopping us right now. Like, you know. So yeah, it's 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 kinda tough, especially also being that that flag bearer for your for your your culture. Like we talk about, you know, Black Panther and how it was, even though it's not the first black film, but it's like the first like black superhero original and how culturally important showing depicting like those images of Africa and those images of black culture and feel familiar in a way that I can understand why she was resistant to say anything because there's also a chance they could have found a way like to write her off the show, like, you know, especially if it's the first season, like every, your first season of the show, everybody's replaceable, you know, mm, mm -hmm. you know, we could just say, mm -hmm. you know, something happens to the mother and we could put in the storyline and he, he marries somebody else, or it's a single Asian father dealing with his kids, you know? So yeah, I can understand why it took her so long to be open 
about it because she's mentioned before she had she wanted to not be on the show multiple times after a while so this is obviously why she made mm. the statement in the past so yeah well i'm glad she's talking about it now hope she found healing um okay so on to what we've watched this week dale um no i i didn't like i'm gonna say like you know like, you know, Bowie is, is funny. We're talking about Bowie, and I got a chance to see an early screening of it, so I was kind of free this week. You know, it's fall, and like me, everybody's depression kind of kicks in, you know, got out the house, but I decided to watch, um, I don't know if anybody remembers uh, the Speed Racer movie. Um, came out at a weird time when you had The Dark Knight, uh, The Dark Knight with Christian Bale and Iron Man, like two superhero movies that were said were going to be grounded and realistic. And then you have this colorful, flamboyant, um, imaginative speed racer. I'm happy now that it's kind of reached cult fame. Um, I think um, JJ Abrams talking about reviving it for Apple TV as a series, I think. So, um, and and watching that movie about and it's funny talking about Bowie and talking about this movie of how weird and quirky and colorful it is. It wasn't praised when it first came out, but now it's getting the praise now. So I always find it funny when those these things. I always find it funny when our topics on the podcast end up being in perfect synergy. So with mm. what we're dealing with in real life. So yeah. Um. I just enjoyed it. Like it's it was one of those inventive films that at the time when everybody was like gritty realism and it didn't get the chance it did. So I'm I'm now I'm happy now hearing us getting like a second lease on life with you know the the Apple news and stuff like that. So yeah. If you need a fun, lighthearted movie, you know, it's it's a wonderful, heartwarming story. And it's got all those, you know, we know the workhouse is in the Matrix post, you know, Matrix 2 is, you know, hit or miss, but it's still a fun, enjoyable movie. So, Cindy, what did you watch? Mute Cute with Kaylee mm. Cuoco and P. Davidson. Um, I don't think I was expecting to watch it, but it was on Peacock. So I was like, OK, I'll watch this. And it was a lot better than I. I mean, I don't guess I didn't have any real expectations for it, but it was. It was really good in a way that I wasn't expecting. Um, Kaylee Cuoco is like really funny. And for some reason, like after watching her on The Big Bang Theory and and not finding that show particularly funny after a while, (laughs) I kind of forgot that she has like amazing comedic timing. Like she's really, she's really funny. Like she's like, I think people know it because she does a flight attendant and stuff like that. But yeah, she was, she was so good in this. And basically it's about like, it's almost like a Groundhog Day situation where like um she is meeting Pete Davidson for the first time at this bar and it's like a perfect little meeting which is like a meet cute which is actually a sketch I think Pete and someone else wrote on SNL he did it with Kristen Stewart I remember that very clearly so I thought it was interesting and I, I, I didn't realize until later that he actually was very much involved in this before Kaylee Cuoco kind of showed up on it um so that makes sense. The way the story goes makes a lot of sense of like, okay, yeah, the P. Davidson definitely has something to do with this because um, it's about mental health and, you know, feeling like you're like, like you want things to end and then kind of fi- finding the value in life through, not necessarily because of another person, but just through another person and your experience with them. Um, 
so yeah it was really really um emotional in a way i guess i didn't think it was going to be but still it was like a dark humor type of situation and really funny i think p davidson is a good comedic actor like i think he should be in more movies like i know people kind of like poop on him because of like who he dates and because he kind of seems like a little crazy but i think he actually has like a talent for this like to me he seems like a not quite in terms of like physical comedy as like an adam sandler but somewhere in that vein like i can definitely see him doing like stuff like that like maybe more of not completely serious but like a little bit of a serious realistically subdued Real, in a way. yeah realistic comedy um, I think he's very good at that. So yeah, he was really good in this. And I think Kaylee Cuoco was really good in it. I think this is like a nice movie. I don't know, it's kind of, the subject matter can kind of be heavy depending on like where you are at the moment. So like, don't watch it if you're in a bad place. <laughs> watch it when you're happy and you're doing well. Um, but yeah, I would recommend people watch it. I think it was so, it was such a cute, sweet movie. Like, I don't know, it was, I liked it. <laughs> But if you don't like B. Davidson or Kayla Google, you're probably not gonna like the film. So to your discretion, how you feel about it, you can go see it. And I, yes. I like I like those titles. You know, we're gonna make a movie about the acute acute meat, which is one of Hollywood's like most famous like romantic mm. tropes introducing yeah. those characters. I find it is a little on the nose. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. we're gonna title the movie exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there's always something about movies that are shot in New York that feel really um, special to me. So if you're into that well there's that. Um and yeah, we hope you're taking care of yourselves and having a good week. Make sure to check out all of our social media, follow us on Letterbox, support us if you can, and we will see you guys in the next episode. Goodbye. Au revoir.